thank you for everybody that has come through. Um, really excited for today's space. Uh, we're going to talk to someone that we had come to AMG and talk to us uh, last month uh, during Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, we have monthly meetings that are basically there for our exclusive talent and our staff, uh, where we bring in professionals and experts in different fields and um, social mediums and platforms and YouTube and stuff like that and have them uh, share with our talent so they can learn and grow. Uh, and last year we did mental health during mental health awareness month. Uh, and we did the same this year and it was really awesome. And so I did want to take the opportunity to, uh, introduce one of the two Dr. Kilmers, I guess, <laughs> um, to you guys. Uh, and so first of all, hello, uh, Elizabeth. Hello. Thanks so much for having me here. Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, and so the technical difficulties to get us started today, uh, if this is your first Twitter space, congratulations. Uh, welcome to the world of fun. Um, so uh, this is called Bridging the Gap. It's my weekly Twitter space that I host on Aftershock Media Group, which is my employer um, that I host on our Twitter. And basically each week I invite on people throughout the industry um, from creators to mental health professionals, team owners, um, other agents, so that we can talk about how, how they got from where they are to, or from where they were to where they are. And hopefully, my hope is that we can kind of bridge the gap for those of you guys that are listening, whether it's here on Twitter or on Spotify under AMG Spaces, uh, so that you can catch a little nugget. Uh, and carry it with you throughout your life. Uh, today's show is going to be a little bit of that. We're going to get to know Dr. Kilmer and Game to Grow, uh, the company that her and her husband started together. Um, it's a really awesome uh, company, and I'm excited for you guys to hear about it. But also, uh, this one is going to be a little bit different because I am going to lean into uh, mental health overall. Um, and when she came and talked to us, it was about mental health as a content creator. Um, but today we're going to be, we're going to dig a little bit deeper uh, just into overall mental health. So I'm really excited about that. However, uh, I will start today how we always start, which is with a game of Would You Rather. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot, Elizabeth, and I'm going to ask you a few questions. Um, and you just have to answer as quickly as you can. Excellent. I'm in. <laughs> All right. So the first one is, would you rather eat a raw pineapple or a raw onion? Pineapple, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Can you even bite through that? Is that possible? I mean, I'd have to gnaw on it a little bit, but I think I can make it happen. Okay. All right. I believe in you. <laughs> um, the second question is, would you rather lose your smell or lose your taste? Um, probably taste okay uh i i have been told that your smell helps with your taste it's so yeah. i guess if you didn't have that, taste and you could still smell things that would be better that was my thinking that was my strategy smart. there very smart <laughs> um next question is would you rather and this is for you specifically would you rather cut off your hair or never be able to dye it again Oh, I'm happy to cut off my hair. I've been fantasizing about cutting off all of my hair. So. <laughs> Absolutely that one. All right. The next one is, would you rather never be able to play Minecraft again 
or not be able to watch YouTube ever again? Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with not be able to play Minecraft ever again. Okay, yeah. I probably, YouTube just has so much more variety. I'd rather, I'd probably rather watch YouTube than eat uh, if I had to choose. <laughs> um, and the final question for would you rather is, would you rather be embarrassed or frightened? Frightened? I'm yep. embarrassed to admit that. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> Okay, so um, I kind of I, I do have a number of questions about mental health overall because I, I want this space to be helpful for those that are listening. And of course, uh, right around the two thirty mark in about you know twenty one minutes, um, I'll open it up for any of you guys that want to ask questions that are listening to the space live today. Um, but I want to start by um, asking about Game to Grow, um, and I'm kind of curious, like, when did you create it? Why did you create it? What exactly does Game to Grow do? That is a great question. So uh, Jared and I, my my husband, um, are some of the developers of the Game to Grow model of therapeutically applied role-playing games, but we actually didn't start Game to Grow. So Game to Grow was started by Adam Davis and Adam John. So they're the Adams. Uh, For anybody who's wondering, it does make things really fun at work because we have two first-name humans, Adam and Adam, and two last-name humans, Kilmer and Kilmer. it's nothing is nothing nothing is consistent um so adam and adam started a um basically a private practice called wheelhouse workshop a i think it's a little bit more than a decade ago now and they were running therapeutic social skills groups with D specifically and they started speaking at paxes and kind of uh going around the country starting to spread some of this information about kind of power of of gaming to support and educate and change people's lives and jared had the opportunity to see them at pax Uh, in like 2015 or 2016, back when they were still Wheelhouse Workshop. And then in 2017, Game to Grow was founded by Adam and Adam. And the reason they shifted from that kind of private practice to this nonprofit space was this idea that um, the work that they were doing using applied games was really bigger than any single person. And shifting to a nonprofit really created an opportunity for more people to be involved. They have always uh, kind of Come from this opportunity. Come from this space. This understanding that uh, this is a really small field now. The world of kind of applied gaming, and we really want it to be a larger one. And the best way to do that is to create uh, opportunities for people to learn, to be involved, to be engaged. And so, Jared and I learned a little bit about what they were doing in that kind of therapeutic social skills group uh, format, and we were able to apply it to what we were doing. Uh, in the clinical psychology realm. So working with individuals with trauma and substance abuse, we worked with adolescents and adults, and we were able to to pull some of their ideas and pull in some of our own training and understanding. Uh, And we had the opportunity to move out to Washington. So we're located in Seattle. And uh, through that, we were able to join onto Game to Grow and work together to create kind of this cohesive model around table applied tabletop gaming. And we're actually expanding into trainings. We've been offering Minecraft groups for a while, but we're expanding into more trainings around Minecraft and other forms of gaming as well. And so the kind of, even though Jared and I did not create Game to Grow, I can tell you, I can, I can speak for Adam and Adam and say a big reason why they started the nonprofit as opposed to just continuing on in a private business was this option to really expand uh ex- expand the work that they're doing and create more access to people around the world to learn more about the life-changing magic of games so i'm curious um mm-hmm. 
in if you I don't know how much you can share, but how exactly does a group um, of people playing a game, how does it have a positive impact on their mental health? Like how does how does how does game to grow? It understands like I, I understand what you've talked about, like the Minecraft groups and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does that have a positive impact in kind of what success have you guys seen doing that? Absolutely. So I do want to put a little bit of a caveat. Obviously, with our applied games, if they're run intentionally, the idea is that they should all be positive um, and have a positive effect on anyone. I would say gaming in groups often has a positive effect on people. But if you're in a really toxic environment, it's probably not going to have the most positive effect. But we're thinking about applied groups. I'm assuming a lot of the people who are listening here uh, today are gamers. And so I'm sure you've all had the experience where you are playing and working with under, other individuals. You've gotten to collaborate on things. You've gotten to share in successes and failures. And it has brought you closer together because you are working on something together. So we see that in uh in applied games that we're using and therapeutic games that we're using. And the facilitators who have a background in training, depending on the population they're working with, either with therapeutic social skills groups or with psychotherapy, are able to use some of those same skills to support the development of uh, kind of collaboration, community, working on self-esteem, those kinds of pieces. I can give an example from a group if that would be helpful. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. So... Um, I run a lot of uh, tabletop role-playing game groups, and oftentimes individuals who come to my group are struggling to connect with other people. Maybe they have a history of being bullied or feeling kind of left out of spaces, uh, maybe really low self-esteem, a lot of anxiety, and coming in a group setting, that can be really overwhelming and really scary. And you might have this idea that you want to get along with other people, but maybe you've been rejected a lot in the past. Uh, so maybe you show up and you're a little bit of a jerk. So I had a participant <laughs> who joined a group a couple of years ago, and uh, he later told me that he came into the group fully prepared to have a bad time. Uh, which wow. is a great way, great way to start a therapeutic gaming group. <laughs> and so he comes into the group and he creates his character and his character immediately starts just kicking down doors. Just everywhere. And kicking down doors in a dungeon, that potentially could be okay. Uh, maybe they'll be trapped, but generally, meh, kicking down a door, great way to keep your party safe. Now, kicking down the door to a village when you need to get information from those villagers about you know the scary monsters that live in the mine uh is is maybe less adapted less helpful yeah but this participant had been so used to being rejected and being bullied and being kicked out of groups that he was engaging in this kind of protective rejection rejecting rejecting behavior where he was he knew that he was probably going to get rejected sometime and so to be able to reduce the amount of tension he felt he was able to just make it happen faster was his idea and so he kept he'd see the group was kind of frustrated with him kicking down the door and so he'd keep doing it until it got bigger and bigger and bigger and the cool thing is because we're in a game we're he's not actually in real life kicking down doors we're not having to pay for or repair or deal with uh, injuries or property destruction this is all happening in a game but some of the social consequences are real people are getting frustrated with him and so we were able to have this really awesome moment where we were able to bring him into talking about what's happening with your character. Man, looks like your character is kicking down a lot of doors and it's making some of the other characters 
uncomfortable and frustrated. What do we think is going on? So mm. even though this was a behavior that was happening from an individual, because they were playing this behavior through a character, we were able to kind of zoom out and be like, man, what's going on with this character? I'm able to right. separate out this negative behavior from the individual and put it onto this character so that we can engage in this kind of group problem solving. So he gets to be part of the solution. Uh, and what ended up happening is the, the group bestowed a last name upon this character, uh, Doors Bane, because of, <laughs> of how much he kicks down doors. And they, they kind of came up with a solution around Doors Bane really, really liked kicking down doors. And that was one of his favorite things in the whole wide world. And so what would happen is the group would say, okay, we're gonna make sure that you have the opportunity to kick down doors. And, but you need to tell us before you kick down the door. And sometimes we might need you to like wait, or maybe we could like set up a dummy door for you to kick down. So they right. really got engaged in this really playful problem solving. And so this was a participant who started to feel a lot more accepted. They became a really central part of the group. There was a whole, uh, there was a whole kind of inside joke with the group that was made around this experience, but it wasn't poking fun at the participant. And so they got to have this space where they felt safe and accepted and that allowed them to engage in other kinds of growth they got much better at asking for what they needed engaging in effective assertive communication through getting to practice this through the game right. with those really low consequences of they didn't actually hit anybody they didn't kick down a door in real life right. uh, so that's kind of one example of how games can be this really awesome opportunity for us to try stuff out get feedback about our behavior. Maybe the behavior we're engaging in isn't working super well. Uh, yeah. Being able to do it through the game or through an avatar in the game can be really powerful. That's awesome. And I kind of, I do want to revisit that. Um, I want to come back around to it. And this next question I'm going to ask you is very broad, but I'm sure mm -hmm. you can answer, maybe answer it kind of succinctly. But um, what is mental health? What is mental health? Wow, that's really broad. So what I would say when we're talking about mental health is it's pretty neutral. So the NIMH, which is a big national organization that looks at mental health and stuff, uh, started kind of trying to map out what is psychological functioning or mental health. And so when we think about mental health, we have to talk about good mental health or bad mental health. But mental health is like how our brain and our emotion and our thoughts are doing. Are they helping us engage functionally and adaptively in our world? Or are we getting stuck in certain places? Um, so that's, that's my broad answer for your broad okay. question. That works. No, that, I mean, honestly, that works. Um, K.A, I'll get your question in a minute. Um, are there any ways to prevent mental health challenges or disorders? Is there like, is there some way to just avoid it, you know, and not deal and not have those things, uh, bother me or not be impacted by mental health challenges? That is a great question. So if we're thinking about mental health disorders, there are a lot of things that go into whether or not someone has a mental health disorder and how we kind of like talk about diagnosing that. So if we're talking about something like depression and anxiety, that can be something that is happening um, because of things in your environment. It can also be that some people right. are kind of genetically um, or because of events early on in their life, they may be more predisposed to having depression. That doesn't mean that they'll necessarily ever have depression, um, but similar to like some forms of cancer are genetically loaded. Meaning if you have family members who have that form of cancer, even if you never get it, you may be more likely. So you might take certain precautions around that. Yeah. Um, there's other stuff that are, are much more kind of 
genetics, so things like autism and ADHD, uh, how much we experience distress or symptoms around those can change based on our environment or what's going on in our in our world. Uh, but you are you're born with those. So like I have ADHD. That's more kind of in the camp around like neurodivergence. But in terms of like mental health challenges or problems, I would say the one thing that we found is having um, positive social support, having positive social connections is one of the most, uh, is, is one of the things that can best protect against many mental health challenges. That makes sense. Um, so I'm actually going to, I normally wait till about, till about halfway through, but I'm going to go ahead and um, bring up Ataya. Um, I don't know how to say this name. <laughs> um, when your mic is hot, you can go ahead and ask your question. I don't want to miss anybody on this uh, episode. Are you there? I don't hear you, so I'm going to move on, but oh, you're, you're muted. muted. So go ahead no, and unmute. Are you okay and now? Is it okay now? Yeah, there you go. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize I was on, so I'm um, sorry. How are you guys? Good. Okay. You got a question for us? Yeah, I have uh, actually two parts of a question, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, the first thing is when uh, you were talking about the ADHD symptoms that uh, when people have it. I have a child that he's like 13 right now, okay? Through the ADHD that, we're that you talked about, I find him sometimes in a violent mood. Is that natural? That's one thing. And uh, okay, if you want to answer this and then I'll go to the second question. Yeah, so to be really clear, I'm not giving specific uh, like medical or mental health advice um, in this space because this is Twitter and the internet and so that would be irresponsible. Um, I will say that people with ADHD generally sometimes struggle with what we call emotion regulation. So it doesn't mean that they are inherently more likely to be angry or happy or sad or whatever, but when people with ADHD experience emotions, they may experience those emotions more intensely and may struggle with emotion regulation. And so having supports around how to recognize emotions, notice emotions and deal with them adaptively can be really helpful. All right. And the second thing about when you were talking to considering the, oh, sorry, oh, I seem to be losing connection here. Uh, when you were talking about depressions and you were talking about getting the idea of people that are getting depressed, does activities or in general, if you go, for example, uh, a person that loves gaming will go on to gaming to get, uh, get his depression off or on. It depends on when he's depressed. You understand what I'm trying to say? Does it work with other things also? If you have other activities that you like to do, does it reduce the depression or will it continue to go? So depression is something that is, again, pretty broad and can be kind of complex. And depending on where uh, the triggers for an individual's depression, it's going to depend on what is going to be the most helpful in terms of interventions. But one of the most common treatments for depression or one of the most effective uh, involves something called behavioral activation, which means engaging in things that we care about, engaging in things that are important to us and engaging in things that are going to support our life. So if I am experiencing depression and I'm working on behalf 
behavioral activation with my therapist, then I might be talking about things like making sure that I exercise because I enjoy exercise and exercise is also going to help kind of reset some of those brain chemicals. I might also talk about playing games, ideally with my friends on maybe a regular schedule. I might also talk uh, with my therapist about uh, using like meal prep or going to school or going to work, engaging in doing stuff as part of that treatment. Awesome. Um, thank you very much for your questions there. Um, so uh, to kind of follow up on what you were saying there with um, therapy is, I mean, I've been alive for a little over 40 years. It seems to be at least less taboo than it was a long time ago, but still there's such a mystery surrounding it. And it seems like most people go to a therapist after they have a breakdown or a depressive episode um, or a, you know, like an extreme anxiety or panic attack. Um, any advice that you can give on selecting a therapist? Is any help better than no help? Like, is there any advice you can give in terms of finding someone to help you when you're struggling um, and you're experiencing mental health challenges or depression? Absolutely. I love talking about how to find a therapist. Um, so first of all, I would not say that any help is better than no help. Um, because if you're working with a therapist that makes you feel uncomfortable or unsafe or invalidated, if you're talking to friends that make you feel uncomfortable or right. unsafe or invalidated, I absolutely uh, that that's not going to be a good fit for you. Um, additionally, I also know that it can be really, really hard to access mental health services. And so if you are finding relief and support from talking to a friend or, uh, using a helpline or a call line, those things can be really, really helpful as well. If you are in a position in which you're able to look for or find a therapist, there's a lot of ways you can find a therapist. If you're in the U.S. specifically, uh, insurance can be one way that you can look through your insurance websites. I would often recommend if you are going through insurance to look on your insurance website it's, itself. Uh, looking at like Psychology Today or Good Therapy or Therapy Den are three therapy therapist finders that can be great to help find people. Their listings are not always super accurate in terms of who is on insurance and who isn't. Uh, there are also options like Open Path Collective, which provide uh, free or sliding scale therapy. Oftentimes there are trainee areas. So uh, when I was in graduate school, we had a clinic on our campus that offered low cost therapy for individuals. You are working with trainees, but the cool thing about working with trainees is those trainees also have supervisors and a consult team and they have so much right. support that that can actually be a really awesome way for people to get access to services and get access to pretty high quality services. So that's, that's one option. I would say when you're looking for a therapist, look for one before you think you might need one. And that doesn't mean you have to call someone, but do something like go to therapy den is one of my favorite therapist finders, go to therapy den and type in some of the things that you might be looking for generally and look through a couple of therapist pages. Anytime a therapist puts themselves up on the website, they're going to have information about what their approach looks like. They're going to have information about their uh, specific specialties. So whether that be trauma, substance use, women's issues, men's issues, children, whatever that looks like. And it's becoming more and more common for therapists to share certain information about their identity, especially if they hold 
in non like clearly visible potentially marginalized identities for example i'm yeah. a clinical psychologist and uh i'm queer and i'm openly queer and that was an intentional choice because it's harder for queer individuals to find safe therapists and so yeah. being public about that was something that's important to me you don't necessarily have to find a therapist that is going to be 100 percent aligned with all of your identities it can be great to have someone that doesn't come from exactly the same place as you. And you're never gonna know tons of personal details about your therapist, but that can be a great way to, to get started. And you always wanna be in a space in which you're gonna feel respected. That's, that's the really important part about therapy. That's awesome. No, those mm -hmm. were um, all really good answers. And I, you know, something you mentioned in there was, if you're talking to a friend, and it actually, you know, drives your mood in the wrong direction. It seems like a lot, especially these days with the availability of social media, um, that a lot of us can find ourselves in groups that confirm what we already think and our ideals and our ideas and, you know, the way we want things to happen. And we can basically block, mute, not unfollow. You know, you can, you can basically find yourself in a group of like-minded people, but that's not always good when you're struggling uh, mentally or when you're going through depression. I see a lot of tweets from a lot of creators um, where I'm having a horrible day. I'm down bad. I don't know what to do anymore. I haven't been able to make videos in a week. You know, I'm struggling. Um, but I also see people in the industry that are saying the same thing. You know, people that work in the industry, people that work in gaming, that have full-time jobs that revolves around interacting with others at a high level, thousands of people a day. Um, is there a best response, you know, as a friend, as a peer, um, as just someone who's caring in the industry? When I see these tweets or when someone reaches out, um, are there some things to avoid in that? And are there some best responses? Yeah. So typically, if you are going to offer advice, I would recommend asking if the person wants advice first. So sometimes people will even put this on Twitter. They'll be like, I'm not looking for advice, but I'm just going through this and I kind of just want validation and it's hard, right? So I yeah. often recommend, uh, I often recommend starting with a space in which you're like, hey, you know, I noticed that you're really struggling right now. Um, I, I want to be helpful. How can I be helpful? How can I be helpful is also a really broad question. So maybe if you have some ideas, you could say, how can I be helpful? Can I... Uh, you know, check in with you next week to see how you're doing. Do you want me to just validate that what you're going through is really hard? Or I have some ideas about some things that might be helpful, but I don't want to give you advice unless it's something you're looking for. So really checking in and telling the person, hey, I see you. I see that you're going through something. And I also really want to value your autonomy. I want to value that you probably know best what you need. And so I don't want to step in and do stuff for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that actually makes perfect sense. I like the um, actually asking someone if they want help first. Um, reminder of anyone that is listening live, if you guys have any questions, uh, Dr. Kilmer can't necessarily give you personal um, advice um, over the internet. Uh, but if you have any general questions about mental health in general, um, you know, we'd love to uh, hear those and answer those for you. Uh, are there some general steps, like if I identify myself, as like, I'm in a low mood, you know, these days, it's almost like, um, it seems like there's, there's, a, there's an instant fix for it might be playing a game, it might be grabbing a drink, you know, um, it might be smoking or something like everybody has these kind of instant fixes, go outside, go for a walk, you know, um, 
but from your standpoint, are there some best practices if I identify myself as being um, low or in a having a minor depressive uh, moment? Um, yeah, I yeah, guess that's my absolutely. Question. So I don't have anything against substances broadly. Um, and I will say that if you're feeling not good, substances may not be the best way to go. They might make you feel better or more numb in the moment, but the way that things like uh, weed and alcohol act on our brain is they can actually kind of get rid of or suppress some of those feel-good chemicals after the drugs or alcohol themselves have worn off. So it doesn't mean that you can't ever go get a drink with your friends or have a beer when you're having a bad day, but having that awareness that if I drink today or I smoke today, it's possible my mood might be lower tomorrow. It's just helpful information. Now, things like exercise I, or playing a game. Go ahead. I, <laughs> um, I just was wondering, is there any more on that? that you can share. Um, is that like a, is that something that always happens, sometimes happens um, in terms of, I've never heard that, that, you know, like smoking or drinking to handle how I feel today might make me actually feel lower tomorrow. Is that something that just happens in our mind or is there like a chemical response, like physiological that happens? Yeah. So some of it, uh, especially with like cannabis has been less studied because of the way our drug laws work in this country. But uh, I think that we see, especially we see there's this, it's a couple days after there's this really significant drop off. We see it with alcohol. It's a little bit complex. So it's not just that we see neurotransmitters change in our brain. It also has to do with the way that uh, drugs and alcohol can impact our sleep. And if our sleep is impacted, so maybe you're mm, drinking because yeah. you're stressed and that's going to help you sleep, but the sleep you're getting is actually much lower quality. And so you are getting this lower quality sleep and you're waking up the next day. You might be a little bit hungover. Uh, us experience, experiencing pain can also directly impact our mood. So yes, there are some neurotransmitter things that happen in our brain and it can also impact things like sleep, which impacts mood and pain, which can impact mood. Uh, if you uh, experience any kind of like a guilt or shame around using substances, then that can also impact your mood. So that's something for people to be aware of. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't drink at all or that you shouldn't use substances, but having kind of that awareness if you're like, man, I'm, I'm in a low mood and you have an option between talking to a friend with or without substances, you might sometimes make the choice to not use substances because you're thinking that tomorrow may also be challenging, right? So just kind of having those pieces in mind can be helpful. Things like exercise can elevate our mood, um, both short and long-term. They can help reduce the amount of stress hormones that are in our body, which can be really, really great. Talking to another person, uh, getting a hug, a consensual hug from another human can be <laughs> really awesome. Playing a game that makes us feel good and excited and happy really great uh, and there's no kind of specifics around that obviously if you are in a position in which you are thinking about hurting yourself or hurting someone else or you're feeling really suicidal I would recommend reaching out to a crisis line or a warm line so that could include um, there's like a crisis text line if you just google crisis hotlines you will get all of them to pop up in your area there are some kind of specific to games and gaming as well uh, like the Trevor Project has a great one specifically for, for LGBTQ plus individuals. And one of the things that people don't always know about crisis lines are if you are talking to a friend and that friend is suicidal, you could call a crisis line yourself if you're trying to figure out how to best help that person, but you're not sure. 
And so it's not just someone who is actively suicidal that can call a crisis line. You could as well, if you're like, oh man, I'm worried about my friend and their safety and I don't know what to do. Yeah. That's also a great use for those crisis lines. Is there a, is, are there any indicators or, or signs that, uh, I guess, circulate around the community um, when it comes to mental health in terms of like when someone is close to or desiring or thinking about hurting themselves, is there anything that to watch for? Yeah. So one of the things that is uh, still a pretty common misperception is this idea that talking to someone about suicide is going to increase the likelihood that they're going to to die by suicide. And what we've actually found is if you go to someone, you say, hey, I'm really worried about you. It seems like you've been really sad and down lately. And I know that sometimes when people are really sad and down, they have thoughts about hurting themselves or wanting to not be alive anymore. Have you had any of those thoughts? That is not going to make the person more likely to hurt themselves. That may actually be an opportunity that person needs to be able to say, oh yeah, I have been having those thoughts and they've been really scary or I don't want to talk about it. And so you can absolutely ask those questions. Um, I generally don't ask those questions to, you know, strangers (laughs) on the internet. Um, Right. But if you have been playing with someone for a while or hanging out with someone and they're suddenly kind of pulling away or they're talking a lot about giving away their stuff or death or dying. They were really engaged in a game and now they're not. Obviously people's hobbies and interests change and there's lots of things that are going on in their life. So I wouldn't necessarily immediately assume that someone's suicidal just because they've stopped playing a game with you or just because they've stopped responding. But it's absolutely okay to check in and say, hey, is everything okay? I noticed that you stopped playing games, right? And if they say, oh man, I've just been really down. I've been really depressed lately. I just I, I don't feel like I'm, uh, I have a purpose anymore or that I have a, a reason to be here. Those are some of those kind of warning signs. There are some really great articles. Um, again, I can't point out the Trevor Project website. Take this. Mm-hmm. It has some great articles around this as well. If you're looking for kind of signs around, if you're worried about a friend, you can always look up one of those articles to see if some of the, the behaviors they've been engaging in connect with what we know around, around suicide. So this is uh, just, I'm just asking because I want to, and I'm curious if you have an answer. You know, I find myself sometimes, you know, I'll be like, oh, I don't like the mood I'm in. Let me play a quick game. And then I'll lose, you know, and especially if Mm -hmm. it's like, if I lose because of a bug or something that I didn't do or have bad teammates, I find myself more frustrated and then I don't know what to do. Um, Is there like, is there something in us? Is there a reason why? And I guess I'm kind of trying to ask you why, but it it's kind of a lot to ask, you know, uh, why is it that we're so averse to getting the right kind of help and to reaching out to others? Why are we so averse to getting, well, I think a lot of, um, this is broad, right? It's going to, it's going to vary from person to person and from community to community, but getting help means that we have to admit that there's something wrong and that we weren't able to fix it on our own. And especially in the US, there is a really big focus on being able to do everything yourself, right? Being able to be self-sufficient, being able to do everything yourself, not needing help. And that is broadly a lie sold to us by capitalism. Um, We are (laughs) interconnected social beings. And even when we try and do everything on our own, like that's just, that's just not how our brains are wired. That's, that's not an efficient way to get stuff done either. But I think oftentimes people have this fear that, oh man, I either waited too late or I don't need enough help, right? Like I'm not bad enough off that I need help. And then by the time mm. you're bad enough off, it's now so bad that you don't want to yeah. reach out for help. 
So there's a lot of guilt and shame often around talking about and, and reaching out for help. And so that's, that can actually be one of the benefits of reaching out to a professional, reaching out to a therapist is therapists know that there are so many reasons that people seek out therapy and no therapist ever should. I'm not going to say people don't because there's bad mental health providers, just like there's bad everything else. Right. Um, if someone reached out to me and they're like, Hey, I don't think that I should be in therapy necessarily. Cause I don't feel like I'm that bad off yet. I would probably say, let's talk about what's going on and see if now therapy is a good fit for you right now. And for some time, there are going to be some people where they're like, I just want to go to therapy a couple of times right now. So that when I need more help later, I'm, I feel more comfortable accessing it. Right. So there's tons of reasons that people might seek out help or go to therapy. And here's, here's the thing that I like to remind people. Humans really like altruism. Like when we engage in helpful altruistic behavior, that makes us feel good. That makes us feel great. So oftentimes if you're in a really bad mood or you're struggling and you reach out to a friend and you say, Hey, I'm struggling. I just need to feel connected to someone. Can we play a game together? And you play that game together and you, that person has been able to help you, even if you're not now in a great mood, that person is going to get something good out of that. That person is going to feel good about that. Um, In group therapy, one of the really powerful things that happens in group therapy is the opportunity for individuals to get to help each other in that setting. And that can be amazingly helpful to people's self-esteem. So I like to remind people that both giving and receiving help are really good things for our mental health. I mean, that's, that was a great answer. Um, That was very helpful. I I wonder, you know, you, your, your business is called Game to Grow. Um, Mm -hmm. And there is a entire uh, portion section group of our society. I'll say here in America, at least um, that is really against video games overall. Um, That is blames games for violence and, um, kids not having short attention spans, not being able to pay attention. Um, I know of a number of parents. I'm, I'm, I myself am involved in a group up here where I talk to parents of homeschooled kids um, about gaming. And it's like there's this preconceived notion because gaming is bigger than it's ever been, of course, in the history of humanity, um, that it's got to be the reason. It's got to it, it has to cause some bad things. Do you come up against that? Um, in what you do, do you have people that um, they actually kind of are against what you guys are doing, pushing forward and using games as a way to grow and as a way to um, deal with challenges in mental health? Um, And uh, I guess my other question, my second question to that um, is, is there an overall impact? Is there an underlying inerrant negative impact that can come from gaming. You have just asked a really phenomenal and immensely broad question that we could spend another like three hours on. And if we did that, I would definitely pull in uh, Dr. Rachel Cohort as well as uh, Christopher Leach, who I think may actually be in this call. Uh, so there are, there are amazing researchers who are looking into that and trying to understand. And the answer mm. is, are there negative things that happen in games or in gaming communities or can games be used for bad yes is that generally what we're seeing in games no 
Uh, let's talk about exercise, for example. I think most of us can agree that exercise is generally perceived as pretty good and a positive thing. Um, there are also people who are engaging in exercise to an unhealthy degree. It's become really bad for their mental health. It's not particularly good. It may be tied into concerns around control or eating disorders. And so in that way, exercise isn't particularly healthy, right? Um, yeah. I also used to do uh, uh, assessments around um, like post-concussive syndrome and issues with um, issues that came from playing football, right? Really, yeah, really problematic, point. very bad for your brain. So I think it's important that when we think about, oh, is gaming good or bad? that we pull in some nuance around even things that we largely accept are good, positive, awesome things like exercise aren't always a great fit for everyone in every context. Um, Jane McGonigal is another researcher who's done, who's written a couple of books that are really great. And one of the things that she continues to talk about that we've, we found in literature in a couple of different areas is when people are engaging in problematic gaming use, um, it usually means that they're playing more than 20 hours a week. Now, there are plenty of people who do not have any kind of problematic gaming use who are playing for more than 20 hours a week, like a lot of streamers, a lot of content creators, right. a lot of people who have free time and their friends are also playing games. In the pandemic, we saw so many people, we're continuing to see so many people um, play games for more than 20 hours a week. If you're finding that games are getting in the way of your friendships, your other hobbies, your work life, your sleep, that's when we wanna start talking about, man, what's going on here? Or if you're engaged in a game that you love, but the community is really toxic and it's making you feel bad about yourself, then that's something that's not ideal. Um, we also talk sometimes about uh, loot boxes, for example, and some of the mechanics that can go into games that may be kind of more problematic. Yeah. I, I would say that I run into this pretty often and because there's so much great data around it uh, i'm usually able to have some really engaging and fun conversations with people to help them kind of better understand what this is it's also important to recognize that the kind of moral panic around games the moral panic isn't new like that also came around like rock and roll yeah and other sure. like other things rap um, yeah so yeah, I actually had a professor in grad school who had us uh, talk about different topics and very much one of them was like video games and mental health and really set it up to be like, this is video games are bad for mental health and they cause violence. And I was like, oh man, I'm picking that topic. And I got to come back in and be like, your research is all outdated and here's kind of the new data. <laughs> and so it, it definitely happens, right? It even happens in academic settings. But I think we're moving into kind of a better position, especially because some of the researchers who are so active in this area, which I'm very, very grateful for. Uh, and so I will say there's, there's a lot of data to be able to have some really great and engaging conversations and change minds, just like I'm sure, I'm sure you're able to do with a lot of the parents that you talk to. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, they come into my workshop thinking I'm going to get to prove to my kid that I'm right and they're wrong. And mm -hmm. then after a lot of them will stay after and they're like, okay, you're a parent advocate and you told my kids that they should listen to me and my rules because I don't give to the same point you made earlier. I, I can't in a workshop full of 60 to 100 kids 
tell all of them that they need to tell their parents that they should be allowed to play Halo and Fortnite. You know, um, mm-hmm. I always advocate for the best thing for your mental health as a child is probably going to be to do what your mom and dad want. <laughs> um, but it is one of those things where parents afterwards will say, okay, I can see how my kids can build healthy relationships. You know, um, they can have a good and positive outlet. Um, and one of the things I always recommend, um, I used to be a youth pastor for like 20 years. And one of the things I recommended a lot was just be there, you know, get to know the games they play. Don't let them, if you let your child go up in their room all day and play for six hours and you don't know what they're playing or who they're talking to, they are more likely, it is more likely that it can turn into something that you won't like because you have absolutely no visibility. Um, and so my advice is always like, I had a parent that she followed her kid's Twitter and she would like tweets and, and her kid knew she was there and sometimes would say some crazy stuff. But it, the presence of, uh, I saw a whole study on it. Um, it was actually on like uh, NBC or something many years ago, but it was like when the parent is present and when they're around, it makes a difference, whether it's socials or being aware of just who they watch on YouTube. Um, those kind of things are so big. And so for me, you know, I'm super dad because some of the people I manage at my agency my kids know. Um, some of them I found because my kids were watching. And so mm-hmm. um, everybody doesn't have that uh, opportunity, but um, it is it is a very, very big challenge to raise children in this generation if you don't have any propensity at all to play video games, if you don't like them yourself. It is very easy to fall into the um, video games are bad you know, um, Mm -hmm. just for a lack of knowledge. Um, I've found that a lot. Um, so I did, I had a interesting question. Um, what is the difference between just mental health or mental well-being and happiness and general happiness? Is there a difference or if I'm happy, am I in a good mental state? That's a great question. Happiness is emotion. Emotions are really important. Uh, emotions also include things like sadness and anxiety and uh, emotions let us know that, hey, something is going on in your environment and you should pay attention to it and maybe do something about it. Happiness or joy are often our brains being like, hey, this is really good. Can we keep doing whatever is happening? Like, can we have access to more of this? Whether that is like playing with your dog or hanging out with your friends or playing a video game. And so happiness is something that is going to be transient. Oftentimes when people come to therapy, they're like, I just want to be happy again. And that is a very reasonable thing to say and a terrible therapy goal because (laughs) you're never going to just be one emotion all the time because our emotions help us interpret our environment and our world. And so ideally, if you're doing really well, then you're generally in a space in which you are content and happy a lot of the time. And when you feel anxious or sad or overwhelmed, then those emotions are going to be shorter lived and you're going to be able to move through them faster. And so I will say that if you're experiencing happiness a lot, you might be in a really good space. But if you're differentiating, if you're experiencing a lot of happiness and a lot of sadness, a lot of happiness and a lot of anxiety, then that kind of big differentiations between the two, especially if you're getting stuck in one emotion or the other, may not be a great sign. It might be yeah. helpful to talk to someone about, it, are there particular environmental things that are happening? Uh, is this around kind of that emotional regulation where you could have some skills or some supports? 
Is it that there's something going on with your physical health that is impacting? For example, if you're sleep deprived or you are sick, your body is going to have a harder time regulating your emotions. You might find yourself really happy one moment and really sad the next. Oh, that's you said something when you spoke to our creators and it was like, I think it was like a fire alarm analogy you used when it comes yes. to negative emotions. Do you want, I don't mm -hmm. want to steal that from you. So do you want to I will mention it? It's my, it's my favorite. So I like to talk about them as uncomfortable emotions instead of negative emotions, because all of our emotions are really important. So when we think about emotions like a smoke detector, right? Uh, when I was in college, I had a smoke detector that would go off when you opened the oven. <laughs> when you turn on the oven and the smoke detector would go off. Now, if I have a smoke detector like that, right, that might be like I have an anxiety disorder. My anxiety is turned up. The like sensitivity of my anxiety is turned up a little bit too high. It's going off even when there's not a fire. But honestly, I'd rather have that than have a smoke detector that doesn't go off even when the kitchen's on fire. And so we want to treat our emotions similar to the way that we would a smoke detector, which is when that smoke detector goes off, I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to go walk into the kitchen and I'm going to go, what happened? Did I accidentally set something on fire? Did I burn toast? I'm going to check in, right? I'm going to check in and see what happens. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm also not going to run out of my house and immediately call the fire department. Right. I'm going to pay attention to what's happen, happening, and then I'm going to make an informed decision. We can do that same thing with our emotions. If I'm feeling really sad, I might look around my brain. I might look around my environment to say, huh, what is making me sad? What's going on with that? Okay, that's making me sad. Can I change it? Can I change uh, my reaction to it? Can I get some space from it? Can I engage in a coping skill to just reduce the amount of sadness that I'm feeling so that I'm going to be better at problem solving? If we're feeling too big emotions, so I'm too happy, too sad, too overwhelmed, we're going to have a hard time engaging in logic. So sometimes it's important to notice the thing that's bothering us and then take time to calm down, re-regulate, and then jump into problem solving. That makes way too much sense. Um, it was one of the more impactful things that I've heard you share because um, it's really easy to, someone told me one time, like, um, and it was more of, you know, like uh, more of a spiritual type of way of looking at emotions is like, they're like clouds. Mm -hmm. If you let them, they'll pass by, sometimes quick, sometimes slow. Um, but you can't stop them from coming. You can't, there's nothing you can do to stop clouds from coming over your house. Um, they're going, part of them moving past is that they have to move past. If they have some rain in them, you're going to get wet, you know? And so, um, but your perspective of how you, you identify it is, um, it's very helpful. And also looking at them as uncomfortable rather than negative emotions. Um, because yeah, when I get angry, I immediately think it's negative, but it's telling me something. Absolutely. So um, one of the last questions I want to ask, uh, and if there are any questions, we've got five more minutes if there's any questions from anybody that's listening in. Um, but one of the questions I want to ask is, what are some of the more common mental health disorders? Um, and how do I, I think you've spoken a little bit to it, but how do I know if I'm experiencing any of them? That's a great question. I am not 100% sure on the pre prevalence rate. So I'm not, I'm not going to like rank order some diagnoses here. Um, but I will right, say yeah. that um, I, I believe the last time I looked at this is most adults in the US at some point in their life will experience a depressive episode. So what that means is um, you're going to like meet criteria for a depressive disorder. 
at some point in your lifetime. It's really common, right? And that might have to do with world events. It might have to do with events that are in your current life. Uh, We've talked, we, we talked previously with AMG about how that can heavily overlap with burnout. So depression and anxiety of some sort, maybe some of the biggest ones we see. Another one is our responses to trauma. So if we've experienced a traumatic event in our life, having a lot of distress and disruption in our life and our nervous system for about a month afterwards is considered pretty normal. And then past that is when it can be really helpful to uh, get support and help. Now, uh, if you've experienced a trauma, you absolutely can reach out to a therapist immediately after you've experienced that trauma. That may be really helpful for you. But in terms of um, when it reaches what we consider like uh, a diagnostic level, doesn't happen until a month after. But don't wait a month to reach out to a therapist if you've experienced trauma. Um, so how would you know if you're experiencing those? So some of the things that we look for are changes in mood. So are you feeling down and depressed? Are you feel, feeling unreasonably guilty? Are you feeling uh, anxious all the time? Do you feel like you're worthless or your life no longer has meaning? Have you stopped engaging in hobbies that you care about? Has your sleep changed? Are you sleeping way less? Are you sleeping way more? Are you eating way more or eating way less? Have you disconnected from a lot of your friends and family? So those are the kinds of things that we might go, huh, wow. there might be something that's going on here. That was, um, yeah, I, I, I'm i already telling myself that I'm going to go back and listen to this when it hits uh, Spotify. <laughs> There's just so many nuggets um, in everything that you've shared. Like, I really appreciate uh, everything that you've shared and uh, I I hope for the best for Game to Grow uh, and everything that you guys are doing, the nonprofit stuff. Like, um, I think it's such an interest, and I'm I don't know if you're the only people doing it, um, but it's such an interesting way to deal with uh, what's going on in our world, which at a very high level is a lot of uh, mental health uh, challenges, disorders. Um, you know, there is a gigantic collective trauma that every single mm-hmm. human on earth went through um, and we're still in, it, you know, and we're still in that. Yeah. Um, it is hard when it's like, you know, there was a time when, I mean, once a week I'd hear about somebody's dad or grandma or mom, or, you know, in terms of like losing their life to COVID. And it's, that is, although we live in an era where we are learning at about tragedies at a faster rate than probably our minds can handle, um, mm-hmm. which means we forgot about the, you know, I think on my Twitter feed, even I see 46 people died in some truck that was found in Mexico. And mm-hmm. it's like, and I just move right past that, you know? Um, but that collective trauma is real and it's hit all of us and it's had a great impact on humanity in general, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And so I, I feel that there's a state that we're all in, we're all in need of some help and some care Um, but we have a tendency to look at the things right in front of us as the cause, you know, like, well, if I'm feeling this way, all I need to do is really change something in my environment and then I'll feel better. Um, Mm -hmm. and I really like how you address these things and, you know, make it that if there's something deeper then talk to someone, you know, put yourself in a consistent environment that's healthy, where you feel good, where you're able to connect to others in a healthy way. Um, and 
don't forget about the things that, you know, if you've noticed that you're not doing the things you like doing anymore, um, there might be a reason there. So uh, is there any last word you want to give uh, Dr. Kilmer or um, anything you want to mention about Game to Grow um, or anything at all? Absolutely. So I, I want to echo what you said in terms of we've all, we are all currently still going through this collective trauma. It's also not the only thing that is happening, especially in the United States right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially around just basic access to human rights. And so many people are going to feel overwhelmed and stressed and demoralized. And that's a perfectly valid reason to reach out for help or support or to look around your life and say, man, how can I create some spaces that are going to feel safe and validating and meaningful for me? So please, please, please do those things. If you uh, like the work that Game to Grow is doing and you want to learn more, I would highly recommend you check out our Twitter at GameTOGrow or check out our website. It's GameToGrow.org. And I will, I will give a plug. If you're a streamer and you like supporting super cool nonprofits, uh, we actually just released a new like streaming kit um, for people who want to stream with us or for us or want to run um, uh, want to run charity streams. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, so we can absolutely take charity donations. And we really, really care about expanding our services. So we offer counseling services. We have groups that use Minecraft as well as Dungeons and Dragons. Um, we have a giant writing project that we're going to be able to announce really soon. And we have a training program that touches on therapeutic uh, therapeutically applied role-playing games, as well as Minecraft. We train educators, community members, therapists, and we can't do that without your support because we offer too many scholarships because we're a nonprofit. We want to make sure all our stuff is accessible. <laughs> so uh, if any of those things are interesting to, you, interesting to you, please check out Game to Grow. Reach out to me directly. It's totally fine. I can point you in the right direction. Um, I am so, so passionate about this work and creating really awesome, inclusive spaces for gamers. And if you are one of those people too, and you wanna join me in that, I would love to have more people working in the same direction. Awesome. Um, thank you again so much, Dr. Kilmer. Thank you to your husband and everybody else that works with you guys and the work you guys are doing. Um, it's groundbreaking and I'm excited for the future and all of the you know positive impact you're gonna have on people's lives. Um, those of you that have tuned in, thank you guys. Those of you that are listening on Spotify, thank you as well. Um, I will be back again with another episode of Bridging the Gap next week. Same place, same time uh, here on the AMG uh, Influence Twitter. So give it a follow if you want to find out who my next guest is, because I never announce it until the day of. <laughs> Keep you on your toes. Um, thank you so much again, Dr. Kilmer and the rest of you. And I will see you guys next time. Adios. Absolutely. Thanks so much. <laughs>